Our scripture reading this afternoon, we find at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 12 through verse 18. Romans chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 12, these words of exhortation from the Apostle Paul uh, to our hearts. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin shall have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which you were committed and have, having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. And then turning to chapter 7, Paul making this... Uh, anguishing confession of his own heart after the realization of how often he does not do the things he ought to do and so forth says at verse 24 of chapter 7 verse 24 and 5 wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then we turn to a few words from Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 3. First to Philippians 1 verses 1 through 6. And there we note particularly verse 6 for our service, our sermon. Philippians 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, For you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then to chapter 3, we read verses 12 through 14. Philippians 3. Verse 12 to 14. 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So far the reading from God's holy word. And now please turn with me to the Canons of Dort, found on page 912, the back of our hymnals, as we consider the first three articles concerning the perseverance of the saints. Page 912, the back of our Trinity hymnals. Article 1 is entitled, The the Regenerate Not Entirely Free from Sin. And this is our confession, brothers and sisters, concerning our Reformed faith. Those people whom God, according to his purpose, calls into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit, he also sets free from the reign and slavery of sin, though in this life not entirely from the flesh and from the body of sin. Article 2, the believer's reaction to sins of weakness. Hence, daily sins of weakness arise, and blemishes cling to even the very best works of God's people, giving them continual cause to humble themselves before God, to flee for refuge to Christ crucified, to put the flesh to death more and more by the spirit of supplication and by holy exercises of godliness, and to strain toward the goal of perfection until they are freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. And Article 3, God's preservation of the converted because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. But God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in it to the end. And this we surely believe as God's people born again of the Holy Spirit. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Noah knew what perseverance of the saints was all about. He understood what it meant to stay steadfast and to finish the course that God had given him to do. It was surely no easy task that Noah had to begin to build that ark for all those years. The Bible does not tell us that Noah was laughed at and scorned by the local people around him, but we can well imagine that that must have been the case, especially when we consider what the world was like in that time just before the flood. We note, for example, in Genesis chapter 6, which describes the world as 
and the wickedness of man is being great upon the earth and the earth being filled with violence. Noah must have been threatened as well, we would think. And yet he did all that the Lord God commanded him to do from beginning to end. He knew what perseverance was all about. It was staying the course, persisting in a cause to the very end, despite opposition and discouragement, enduring under great burdens at times, yet knowing that your Lord God in heaven is with you and he will keep you to the very end. Noah had to be a faithful servant of God, no matter how crazy the people thought he was. They must have thought, Noah, why in the world are you building this great big boat in your backyard? You must be crazy. And people may well have wondered about you and me too, congregation. Why in the world do you keep serving this God whom you cannot see? Whom you really can't even prove he exists scientifically? Why do you give him so much of your devotion and time? And this brings us to what we're dealing with, congregation, the fact we need to persevere. We need to be strong and, and to be going forward when it seems like everybody else is going against us, when we're going upstream against the current, spiritually speaking. And so our theme this afternoon, believers, persevere in the faith. Why? Because they are preserved by God's grace. How could we possibly hang in there, keep on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and keep remembering God's commandments so that as much as is as within us, we will keep and do his holy will? How could we possibly continue? Only by God preserving us. And so... We confess, congregation, how believers, when they are preserved by God, they will never lose their faith. And so we consider this last doctrine from the Canons of Dort. It also is one of these wonderful doctrines. It flows out of the previous four. And, of course, this doctrine flows from all the pages of the Holy Scriptures. But as we consider the perseverance of the saints, we need to ask, what's the starting point how is it that we can begin to persevere under God's grace, persevere in the faith? Well, first we can, congregation, because we are delivered from the dominion of sin, our first point by which we persevere. And it's this, those whom God has chosen are delivered from the reign and the slavery of sin. That's a fact. That's a reality. And we learn of that as we look at the first part of Article 1. There we confess those whom God, has, whom God, according to his purpose, calls into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit. He also sets free from the reign and the slavery of sin. There's the thing. He sets us free from the reign and the slavery of sin. And that reign and slavery simply means the ruling power of sin that dominates people, that controls the unbeliever, it shapes him, it determines who he is, how he thinks, how he acts, and what he does. He's under the reign and the power of sin. He's literally dead in his sins. 
He's under its absolute control, and he doesn't know any different whatsoever. He's enslaved to his sinful nature. But believers, on the other hand, who are brought into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our confession says, and who are furthermore regenerated by the Holy Spirit as well, these are the ones who are set free, we confess in Article 1. They are literally, actually set free from sin slavery and the reign of sin. And that's just not simply what our confession teaches. It's what, it's what the Word of God underscores for us as Paul writes to the Romans. And he says in Romans 6, verse 17, he begins with a word of thanks. He says, thanks be to God. That's how he starts. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, that's point number one, we were slaves to sin, but now have become obedient, he says. What a change. You have become obedient from the heart. That's where it has to be from. Obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching uh, to which you were committed. He, he speaks of Christians, Christians being delivered from sin's cruel reigning and enslaving power so we begin to obey God. We begin to do what's right. He says Christians have, believers have become obedient once they were absolutely not obedient. Now coming out of paganism, they became obedient from the heart to a specific standard or a doctrine of teaching to which they were committed. It is, of course, the teachings of God's holy word that have been given to you. And congregation, that's a liberating truth. So, and it's a thing that you became committed to. You became convinced of it. You knew it was a liberating truth. And by God's grace, you began to be taken out of the clutches of sin and the world and of Satan. Having been regenerated, you've become new people. Paul says, obedient from the heart. That's what it underscores what it is to be freed up, if you will, no longer enslaved to our sinful passions, but beginning to be slaves of Christ and of his righteousness. And therefore, Paul can say what he does if we back up to verse 14 and and this comes as a command to us. It says, Paul says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. How can he say to that Roman church, sin is no longer having dominion over you? And the point is it's not supposed to either, and it, and it won't. Why? Because we have become obedient from the heart to that new standard to which we are committed unto. Yes, the teachings of God's holy word. And he ends by saying here, we're no longer under the law. All its demands, which we know we can never keep in the first place. Trying to live under the influence of the law and become right with God will never, ever change your heart. It sure hasn't changed my heart if I only had the law to look to. But... Under the power of divine grace, Paul says, you're no longer under the law, but under grace. 
That amazing grace can change our hearts. That amazing grace can make us obedient from the heart to that new standard to which we were committed. The law of God cannot liberate, but God's amazing grace does. It regenerates. It makes what was dead alive and brings us to God through faith in Christ. And the bottom line here is it sets us free. It delivers us from the reign and the slavery of sin. That was our first point. And that underscores what our theme tells us, that believers persevere in the faith. Why do you persevere in the faith? How can you do it? Well, because God delivered you out of your sin and your animosity to God and your hatred of his will and your earlier rejection of Christ and made you obedient to the gospel. Believers persevere in the faith, preserved by God's grace. Now regarding that subject of perseverance, there's been all kinds of discussions over the years, what it really is, what it really does, what it really means. And people have so often thought a believer can still lose his faith. We don't really have absolute assurance, they say. That's what Catholicism teaches as well. And here we're looking at classic Arminian thinking. The Arminian will think the Bible has no warrant whatsoever to uh, proclaim a doctrine like the perseverance of the saints. Well, congregation, if our salvation really did depend upon ourselves and our own power, why then the Arminians surely would be right. We could lose our faith. But you know what? They're dead wrong. They're dead wrong because our salvation does not depend upon ourselves. It depends upon God entirely from start to finish. Christ is both the author and the perfecter of our faith. For example, we read from Romans 8 verse 30, that whom God has called these he also has glorified. Why do true Christians persevere Well, again, note those wonderful words of our confession, those whom God, according to his purpose, calls into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? He also sets them free. He sets them free from the reign and the slavery of sin. Isn't that an absolutely marvelous thing? that our deliverance from sin through faith in Christ is permanent. There's nothing temporary about it. It is permanent. It is complete. It cannot be undone. Just think of it. If God has elected you before the foundation of the world, you mean to say you could still lose that election? As if to say God could not finish what he has committed himself to doing? Of course not. Who are we, is our, is our sinful nature stronger than the will of God who would elect us and then deliver us from the dominion of sin and the slavery unto it? And, and, and that's the thing that the Apostle Paul goes on to affirm in Romans 6 at verse 17 and 18. And 
how, how we need to know words like this, congregation. Just, just listen to what it says. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves, that's like exhibit A, you were once slaves, but now have become obedient from the heart to that standard of righteousness to which you were committed. And then he goes on, he says more, and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. The complete opposite of what we were slaves to before. Unrighteousness and sin and the devil and defiance of God. We become obedient from the heart to become slaves of something brand new. Of the righteousness which is in Jesus Christ. Congregation, perhaps it's good once in a while to consider your own journey of faith. How it got started. Perhaps what you once were when you were much younger. For myself, I know I was once a slave of sin. I really was. I knew what it was like. But I was delivered by the grace of God. I was set free and I became a slave of righteousness. And very happily so. It made me sometimes wonder how in the world did I ever start up there when I was a slave to sin. And I knew the wretchedness of life and the emptiness and the filth and the profanity of life that I grew up with as a youngster. But by God's grace, I was set free and became a slave of righteousness. And I trust that you, by God's grace as well, can say of the same thing, that we have become slaves of righteousness and we have now a righteous character to live out day by day. As you go to your job tomorrow morning, you are a slave of righteousness. As you go to school during the course of the week, you're a slave of righteousness. As you keep the home and do the dishes, you are a slave of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are one who has been born again, brought into fellowship with him, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You've been delivered. You are a new person in Jesus Christ. And thus, congregation, we persevere. God is busy preserving us in that which he has set us free from and unto righteousness. But, I got to say a but here, <laughs> but we need to also state this very thing, article One's a beautiful one, but it ends with a but. He says, though in this life, not entirely from the flesh and from the body of sin. See how realistic the Canons of Dort, Article 1, really is. It speaks the truth all right. It's not pulling the will over our eyes in any way. Though in this life... We are not entirely free from the, uh, entirely from the flesh and the body of sin set free. The flesh, of course, means your sinful nature, your rebellious spirit that wants to have nothing to do with God, your sinful nature with all its weaknesses, with all its remaining sin. That's still there too, to a degree, congregation. That's still your description. Yes, born again in Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit in fellowship with Jesus. But there still 
remaining sin lingering in our hearts. In this life, we are not yet completely delivered from all our sinfulness in terms of its character and behavior. We're still on this side of heaven. Future glory is yet coming ahead of us. We're still in this broken world. We still remain fallen and broken creatures. But does that in any way derail us from persevering in the faith? Or God not being able to preserve us? Of course not. Yet there's a caution here. And it's like a reality check. What do we now have to do? That sin is still there in our hearts to a degree. How do we react? Well, Article 2 tells us. And it's, it's a mouthful here, but it's so good to hear and to know. It says, hence daily sins of weakness arise. Isn't that the truth? And blemishes cling to even the best works of God's people even, no, even Moses sinned, sinned against the Lord. Remember that? Giving them continual cause to humble themselves before God and to flee for refuge to Christ crucified. There we go, eh? When we're in trouble and when things are hard, we flee to Christ crucified for refuge and to put to death, put the flesh to death more and more by the spirit of supplication and then by holy exercises of godliness and to strain toward the goal of perfection until they, that is to say, until we are freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. Now, isn't this the Christian life? If you want a a job description, so to speak, of what it is to be a Christian, read Article 2 when you you go home this evening and meditate upon that with your family for a few minutes. Talk about the rubber of the the rubber of our faith hitting the road here in our Christian life. And it's one of perseverance in the faith to the end. The fact that we have daily these sins of weakness arising in us. What do we have to do with that? We're not going to be blown over by it, that's for sure. But it demands of us a persevering now to the end. And guess what? Guess what? We can do it because our first point was we were delivered from slavery to sin. And yet here we have at congregation that description of our Christian life. The best works that we do are still blemished with sin. We still need daily to humble ourselves before God, daily praying for God's grace and Holy Spirit so that we keep putting to death, keep squelching, you know, squashing those sinful desires and temptations when they rise up in our hearts and to keep fleeing to Christ for refuge, Christ who was crucified for us. Article 2 goes on to say, you know, it's been said that the person who prays much, who is in close communion with God very much, is less likely to be able to be preoccupied with sinful desires. Those who are much in prayer congregation for themselves, in particular here, that's our focus right now, those who are much in prayer for their own, own souls, uh, they are the ones who by the spirit of uh, supplication 
receive the strength from God, and by holy exercises of godliness, they're able to strain forward toward the goal of perfection until they're freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. O congregation, are you too uh, gripped by that spirit of supplication? The, The confession here capitalizes the, the S on spirit, speaking, I believe, of the spirit who intercedes for us throughout, our, throughout the, fa- the time that we engage in our spiritual warfare, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that we too must be engaged in that sp- with, a, with a spirit of supplication ourselves so that we are equipped and strengthened by God to persevere in our faith and increase in holy exercises of godliness and are busy straining forward toward that goal of perfection. Now, of course, we know we will never gain perfection in this life, yet does that mean we ought not to strive after it? Of course we must strive after it. That's how, uh, how Article 2 ends that we, by holy exercises of godliness, we strain toward the goal of perfection until we are free from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. We think, for example, of the the Apostle Paul, how how he cried out to God, how that spirit of supplication was in his own heart and in his own mind. He, he knew how tough and hard it was to live the Christian life. And that's why he ends chapter 7 in the way he does. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. We must be thinking, Paul, are you sure you're saying the right thing? You're talking about yourself, a holy apostle of Jesus Christ. And this is what you have to say, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? We say, yes, Paul, that's you, all right. It's me too. Oh, wretched man that I am. He, he's crying out for, for increased strength. He's crying out for God to further keep delivering him, to set him free from this body of death. This is to say within himself, within his own body, within his own being are the seeds that would lead to death if God's grace had not brought him to faith in Christ. If he'd be going on the same pathway without Christ, his body would indeed be one of death forever. But now he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And he gives the answer, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In a word, he's doing what what Article 2 of the Canons tells us to do, and more and more by the spirit of supplication put my sinful deeds of my flesh to death more and more and by holy exercises of godliness O God help me to strain toward the goal of perfection till I'm freed from this body of death our confession says Paul has said the same thing in Romans chapter 7 but Paul doesn't stop there. He, he goes on to speak further in Philippians chapter 3 about the fact that he too indeed wants to persevere to the end 
And to attain that perfection, here's what Paul says in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained or am already perfect. He's not yet finished the goal. He's not yet reached that state of glory. But he says, I press on to make it my own. He's going to do all he can to gain all that Christ has secured for him. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If Christ had made Paul his own, to say belonging to Christ, how much more then must not Paul also take all that Christ has given to him and make it his own as well, is what he is, what he is saying. We know that Jesus Christ laid hold of the apostle Paul not simply to make him an apostle, but to first make him his own dear redeemed child, another one saved by my blood, so to speak. Christ made Paul his own. And now Paul says, I am going to make my own as well what Christ has given to me. And I press on to, to do that, to fulfill his holy calling as a believer but to also then fulfill that holy calling that Christ gave him to preach the gospel to the nations. And now, congregation, Christ has also made you his own. Lord's Day 1, we are not our own. Christ also has come to make you his own, so that you in turn will also make Christ your own. Yes, all that he is, all that he has done, all that he will yet be, that's mine. It's my own by divine grace. And I'm going to press on to make it my own. Now the point is here, having made it my own, I'm, I need to be doing that so that the remaining sin and the weaknesses of sin that still remain even in my best works will not derail me or cause me to lose that perseverance but enable me by God's grace all the more enable me all the more by God's grace to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to cause me to persevere to the end and that's the thing we have here congregation. Our Lord indeed is good. Those whom he has sanctified and blessed, he indeed will keep all the way to the end. And Paul affirms that here too. He says, brothers, in verse 13, Philippians 3, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind me, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He has an upward call. He has taken it. He's going to go with it. He's going to carry it to the end. And the prize there is reserved for him by God in Jesus Christ. You know what? Paul made it to the end. He received the prize of the upward call 
and by God's grace, we will too. And then we conclude thirdly with the fact of our perseverance that God is faithful and he powerfully preserves us all the way to the end. And here we see another essential ingredient here, Article 3, because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted, and here's the thing, could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources, but God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in it all the way to the end. Congregation, what a thing to to know here when we face tons of temptations all the time from the screens we watch, from what pulsates in our own heart in terms of of enmity towards God at times because of what is in the world, because of what Satan throws at us. How do we deal with all those temptations and overcome? Often the temptation and the trouble begins right here in our hearts where we do not listen to God as we ought or we don't show him the affection that we ought to show to him. I wish I loved God more than what I did. And, and, and so we see how indwelling sin is a real hindrance to us. How could we manage to keep putting off the, off the flesh, putting the sins of the flesh to death, unless we had divine help, unless we had divine power? How could we possibly live according to Romans 6, verse 13, where Paul says that we are not to present our members as instruments of of unrighteousness to God, but to be alive from the dead? How could we not present ourselves in terms of being unrighteous toward God, but righteous unless God first had made us alive and unless he keeps us alive. He commands us to to persevere and he empowers us. He mercifully strengthens us in the grace that he has conferred upon us and powerfully preserves us all the way to the end. That's how Noah kept on going until the very end. God mercifully preserved him and empowered him. That's how the Apostle Paul was able to remain faithful to the end. Noah had an ark to build. Paul had a race to run. He had a word to preach. And you've got a Christian life to live, notwithstanding all the challenges, all that the devil might throw at you, all that you might see with your eyes that is filthy and profane, Put it all aside. You have the power of God also being bestowed upon you. That's his promise. That's your hidden power, if you will. Again, notice 
how question or article three ends, but God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving you and me unto the very end. Congregation there, I would say, is the bottom line of her hope, not the power in me of myself, not some psychological thing to, to fix me, to change my thinking, but God is merciful and faithful to his people, and he's powerfully disposed towards them too because he knows how weak we are. And it is because, of course, he loves us. We are his dear covenant children. We've been purchased with the blood of Christ. And he strengthens us with his word and by his spirit. But with a particular word, as I've chosen to conclude here, where Paul says to the Philippians that we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. His faith he's given you, number one. Number two, the good works that you do, he's begun to do in you, secondly. And he doesn't let you leave you to your own resources to fend for yourself, spiritually speaking, merely but he powerfully preserves you to the end. The very thing he begun to do in you, you can be confident that he will bring that thing to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, this means we need to fully engage ourselves in that life of sanctification. God does not live your life for you at all. Your life is yours to live. You're fully responsible in that sense for your salvation. Understand me correctly here. We're saved by grace through faith alone, yet we are responsible to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. And if we don't, we're in trouble with God. Then we're spiritually lazy. Then we're being spiritually negligent. And I say, shame on you if that is how you are. We are very responsible to live with this beautiful promise that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. Look at how often Paul talks about pressing on. He was no slouch in terms of his Christian faith. We cannot be either. Don't be wasting your spiritual energy in godless things with ungodly preoccupations. That's not going to help your Christian faith at all. That's not going to help you persevere in the least if you're careless with what you see, what you fill your mind with, but rather be straining on toward this goal of perfection. Do all you can to edify your soul with the things that you might do in your free time. We so often would go the other way. But we may not allow ourselves that prerogative in our Christian life to be loose and sloppy with our faith and with our pleasures. Congregation, there's tons of temptations we have that we must put to death daily. 
You've got your Christian life to live, but God does not leave you without resources, but he powerfully preserves, he mercifully keeps you, and lets you know, please be confident of this very thing, that the good work I began to do in you, I will certainly bring it to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we thank you for your powerful Holy Spirit. We give thanks, O oh Father, for the power of your word as it speaks to us, convicting us of sin, exposing our heart, even to the division of joints and marrow. Lord, we thank you, however, you did not leave us simply under the strain and conviction of sin, but brought us near to yourself through Christ. And in his name we praise and bless your holy name, O God. So keep us faithful unto, unto that day, O Lord. Hear our prayers, forgive our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.